When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is the Court Today replay on C103. If you haven't put your nose outside of the door this morning, I suggest you try and stay indoors as much as you can. It is Baltic out there. It was due when you open up the front door and you go, oh, wow. I think it's the easterly breeze uh, as well. There isn't much of a breeze, but there's just a little bit of a wind chill factor. But it really is bitterly cold out there. And we are on high alert now for tomorrow. The status yellow weather warning from it area. Now there's one already in place but it's more up the country Westmead, Mead, Cavan, uh, Monaghan. Uh, they have a status yellow warning in place uh, for today but the entire country goes under this status yellow uh, warning with, for snow tomorrow. It's from 8am tomorrow morning and then it will run for the next uh, 24 hours. So it's, it really is looking like it is a one day event and they're expecting the whole country to be under a blanket of snow up to five centimetres. That's not to say we're going to get five centimetres, but they're saying it could be as much as five centimetres uh, in some area. But as I say, it is looking like it's going to be a one-day event for tomorrow because Friday is going to bring outbreaks of rain and certainly here in Munster, the temperatures are going to start to rise on Friday. I mean, for example, Friday night, they're expecting temperatures between four and seven degrees Celsius and they're the overnight temperatures and that then will lead into the weekend and the weekend is going to bring larger outbreaks of rain it's going to be windy across the weekend but we're going to have these milder conditions coming in right across the weekend and into next week but that unfortunately is bringing rain with it as well so we sort of as I say a one day snow event for tomorrow so just you know plan whatever you need to do if there's somewhere that you have to be I'd be saying get there today or you know cancel for tomorrow and go there on Friday or, or reschedule it for uh, next week as there there could be some very tricky driving conditions uh, tomorrow. What we more than anything else, we want to keep everybody safe. My thanks to uh, John Paul, who sat in for me yesterday when I got one of those dreadful migraines. And I think anyone that's a migraine sufferer will know what it's like. You just really have to take to the bed and just let it pass. And uh, that's exactly what I did uh, yesterday. So glad to report it's it's gone. Still feeling, I wouldn't say woozy, but you just, you still feel the after effects, I think, for probably 24 hours after you have a migraine. So thanks to John Paul, at very short notice, <laughs> stepped into the breach and it tells me that they had a very busy show uh, yesterday. So he's back taking your calls today at 1850-333-103. Anything you want to share with us, you can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. And one of the issues we're going to be addressing and talking about on the programme uh, today is to do with the COVID vaccine 
and it's to do with the uptake of the COVID vaccine by healthcare uh, workers. And there has been uh, talks, I know the Justice Minister Helen McEntee coming out this week saying that healthcare workers who refuse to accept a COVID-19 vaccination could be banned from working on the front line. Now, already earlier on in the week, we had Paul Reid, the HSE boss. He says it's absolutely inexcusable usable for staff to refuse the vaccine adding but he did add it's a very small number of people that it is an issue with. We're going to be addressing it today on the programme from the nursing home staff point of view because it seems to be in the nursing home there's a higher proportion of staff refusing to take the vaccine than are taking it in say our main hospitals and with our frontline uh, workers a recent survey found up to 15%, even though I think the figure is more 10%. I'll try and find out exactly what it is. But it still does, even at 10%, that seems like a high enough. It would mean for every 100 staff, 10 of them are refusing to take the vaccine. We're going to be speaking with Ty Daly of Nursing Home Ireland about it on the programme. But I am interested in your thoughts on how you feel about staff all healthcare uh, staff, how would you feel about this idea of should it be mandatory or how do they have a right to refuse the uh, vaccine? It doesn't seem to be, as I say, in frontline staff, it doesn't seem to be that much of an issue because there seems to be very high numbers of frontline staff. They are queuing up to get the vaccine. It is very different to when they're offered the seasonal flu jab because there's always an issue with trying to get healthcare workers to take the flu jab. I mean, it sometimes runs as in around 50% will take and it's a free flu jab given to frontline staff but they, for whatever reason they don't and, and there can't be a fear there's nothing wrong with the flu jab there's no fears attached to getting the flu jab but for whatever reason some of the frontline staff there's always a high proportion refuse to get it as I say it's not the same with COVID the COVID jab they're queuing up and coming out and all they'd come out at any hour of the day or night I think if they, they were offered a vaccine which I think is welcomed news if you end up in a hospital you want to know that you're, you're as protected as possible and particularly when we hear of the number of people that acquire COVID-19 while inside in a hospital are inside in, in a nursing home and in nursing homes where there's no visitors people say you know well, how is it getting in it's you know the staff are living in the community and when it's out in the community it is going to get into nursing homes but if you had all of your nursing home staff if they were all vaccinated uh, would that not protect the residents until the residents are fully vaccinated as well anyway your thoughts welcomed on that as I say we will discuss it in more detail uh, today on the programme and then when are we going to get out of the third COVID lockdown and lots of people and again I'm interested in your thoughts on this many people are finding this lockdown the hardest of all of the lockdowns many people kind of felt not the first lockdown the weather was better we didn't know what was ahead kind of they breezed through it even the other the second lockdown that came people thought yeah we got on okay but this one you can you hear more people talk about this lockdown and finding this lockdown the toughest and I know if you speak to anyone who's working in general practice or if you speak to anyone that's working in pharmacies they will tell you the number of people that are suffering mental health issues and it really seems to be peaking during this particular lockdown people are just not 
coping with it and people's mental health has been affected. I know last week there was a survey out from one of the pharmacy groups and they were talking about, interestingly, there was a 50% reduction in antibiotic use. And to me, that's got a lot to do with the way we're looking after ourselves and keeping away from people. And people are not picking up as many infections as we did say on previous years. But then the flip side of that was the huge increase in the number of people that are being uh, prescribed antidepressants are being prescribed medication for anxiety. Massive increase in that. And how much how much of that is to do with the third uh, lockdown that people just seemed to be plodding along and then suddenly this one really seems to be uh, affecting people. But just, you know, to let people know that GPs are there to help uh, and if you are finding, really finding it difficult and you are suffering with anxiety, people who will say they've never suffered from anxiety ever before in, in their lifetime, in any period in their lifetime, suddenly feeling very anxious and suddenly mood is extremely low. Please pick up the phone and talk to your GP. They may not be able to see you in person, but they are there to deal with you over the phone. And, you know, that they're, they're, and they're, they're, obviously there's medication available. I just not always have to be the medication route that can be the, the psychologist route, you can go talk to somebody, you can go to counsellors, but please, my message to everybody, you know, if you are battling at the moment to reach out and to try to get some uh, help. And in the meantime, we look to the government to see what is happening with the plan for living with uh, COVID-19. And I read in the papers today that the government are basically conceding that the plan that they had in place for living with COVID-19 is simply not working. And it really is. As I saw one headline, I think it was in the Irish Independent, they were saying it's, it's back to the drawing board. They really do, do now need a new blueprint particularly on how we're going to exit from this third national lockdown. Just weeks after our own Taoiseach Micheál Martin insisted that the government would be sticking to the original plan. It's now emerging that the framework they're going they are as we speak going to have to overhaul it to provide certainly we're going to need a much slower reopening of the country if we learned anything from the previous two lockdowns it's the way we reopened the country so I think that that's a sensible move look at it again and go for the slower reopening yesterday we had the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar admitting the government was redrafting the existing plan now obviously they have a number of things to take into account there is a there is a vaccination programme that rollout is there that wasn't there when we came out of the two previous lockdowns. But what we also have that we didn't have for the two previous lockdowns is the emergence of new variants, new strains of COVID-19 and we very much have to take them on uh, board. There has been weeks now of calls from both members of the public and from the business community. The business community, I think more than anything, looking for clarity, saying to the government, just give us some idea of when you're going to ease the COVID-19 restrictions now since Christmas. The government have refused to give any firm date, say for when childcare would reopen, when schools would reopen, when colleges uh, would be back. Then we've got retailers, restaurant owners and publicans all, everyone, every business left very much in the dark uh, now for more than a month because nobody really knows when they are going to reopen. So this revised framework will involve a much slower reopening of society. It looks like it will begin with schools reopening. That then will be followed by construction and then over time we will have other sectors slowly starting to open up. When are we going to hear? Because I think that's the big one for people. Let us know what 
what what is the time frame? When do you expect the country to reopen? We're now being told that the new date, the new announcement, now this is not the date for reopening, but we can expect to have more details, but it will we will have another wait. It's not going to happen until the 22nd of uh, February, so a couple of weeks away before we'll know the details of the new uh, plan. Leo Varadkar yesterday, though, uh, stating that he didn't expect to see construction open before the 5th of March. And then when he was asked about personal service and in particular about hairdressers and barbers, he also very clearly says he does not expect them until for them to open until well after the 5th of March. And he also even jokingly said that he had sent away from for some hair clippers online for himself. So he's going to do a home job for cutting of his own uh, hair. So that's very disappointing news for hairdressers and for barbers and I think for the general population because as a lot of people are saying they could really do with a good haircut now because the last time hairdressers and barbers were open would have been Christmas week. So if you got in on that last week maybe up to I think they opened Christmas Eve didn't they? That would have been the, the last day. So we're a good seven weeks gone now and a lot of people saying yeah could do with the old hair uh, being cut well listen to Micheál Mar or listen to Leo Radker there's certainly going to be a longer wait on that and I know the hairdressers and the barbers will be very disappointed with that news because they always felt that when they were opened they put in a big push to stay open because when we op- started to reopen up after the first lockdown and when hairdressers and barbers were allowed to open there was very strict rules and regulations governing going to the hairdressers and certainly any time that I went across uh, last year while the pandemic was here always felt very safe uh, and I don't know and I'm open for correction I don't know how many if there was any cases that came out of hairdressers or barbers or if they did they were a very low number it became a very sterile environment oh, they were always hairdressers and barbers were always a very clean place uh, anyway but they put everything everything that they were asked to do they, they put in place so I know that particular sector would, be, would have been very disappointed to hear that Leo Varadkar has sent off for hair clippers he's bought them on uh, Lyme and of course especially it'll be a very important day tomorrow for anybody listening who has a child with special needs because special education reopens tomorrow now there's 140 plus special needs schools that will throw open their door tomorrow only 50% of students will go in so I take it half the students will go in for one day tomorrow and then the other half will go in for one day on uh, Friday. But then, and I'm sure parents will be disappointed to hear this, the schools then will close for next week. Why? Because next week is mid-term and the mid-term was schedule was, all, was already there. I really thought that the special needs schools, the fact that they're only opening for two days this week of which students only get in for one day, I really thought that they might have passed on the midterm next week. Anyway, they're not. So midterm will happen next week. And then we wait for the following week for the opening of special classes in mainstream primary schools. They reopen on February the 22nd. Still no formal uh, decision and when special classes at second level is expected but there, a lot of the rumour is that it will be later in February that then would be followed by phased returning of mainstream classes at both cross primary and secondary school and it'll be over a three week period and it will be in advance of the Easter holidays so it looks like they'll have this phased reopening over three weeks and then it'll be just in time for the Easter holidays and then they'll be off for two weeks of the Easter holidays but anyway uh, talks have yet to focus on which year groups will go in first 
but sources are saying that in more than likely they'll start at primary level with the junior and the senior infants and the thought pattern behind that is that the junior and the senior infants are remote learning is most challenging for that age group so they'll be the first back in and then when you look to second level the obvious choices there is third year and sixth year they're both the exam uh, classes they will be given priority first that'll be followed by the fifth years and then the remainder of the students so they're looking now at for secondary and primary a three-week phased reopening in March just in time for the Easter holidays on the 26th of March. By the way, we're getting reports in a very heavy snow in Yall and that some of the back roads are actually impassable already. So please drive with care. We weren't expecting that much snow today, but according to some people contacting us from Yall, they're after getting a deluge of snow and I suppose the ground is so dry, it's just all landing. So please drive with care. Some of the back roads, according to one of our listeners, impassable at the moment. I don't have any more specifics than that. And Anne says, Patricia, sorry to hear you had a migraine attack yesterday. Anne says, it's the lockdown that's causing all of these anxiety problems. Anne says, I used to suffer from migraine when my children were younger. Never suffered them until this lockdown. Everyone's finding it so hard. Yeah, they are in indeed. And thank you for that. Hi, Patricia. Would you thank the doctors, nurses and staff in the South Infirmary Hospital in Cork? They were outstanding yesterday, the way I was looked after. And that's from Margaret in uh, Mallow so take a bow everyone in the South Infirmary Hospital and anyone that watched the primetime programme last night from Tala Hospital and of course they could have filmed those scenes in any of our hospitals including our own ones here in Cork my God the pressure that the staff are under looking after people and the heartbreak that they have to go through you know watching people die watching people die on their own and then having to pick up the phone and ring families it really is a tough tough job and we send them all the love in the world and just and we can we all have a role to play we all have a role to play in trying not to get COVID so that we don't become one of their patients in the weeks and months ahead so nothing nothing but admiration for all of our hospital and nursing home uh, staff who are working so hard and actually Michael wants me to mention and I will do this give a mention to this nun in France she's actually the oldest person in Europe. She's a French nun by the name of Sister Andre. And Sister Andre is going to celebrate her hundred and 17th birthday 117 she'll celebrate her birthday tomorrow and I mean that in itself is the reason that she's making worldwide news is the fact she's going to be 117 tomorrow but she's actually survived COVID she was diagnosed with uh, COVID on the I think it was the 16th of January even though she was asymptomatic she didn't have any symptoms at all and she's in a retirement home she had to be isolated obviously but she's in a, a retirement home with other nuns in France and they're looking forward to having a little birthday party to celebrate her 117th birthday tomorrow. She was born on the 11th of February in 1904. Isn't that credible? So happy birthday tomorrow to Sister uh, Andrea. As I say, she's the oldest woman, she's the oldest person alive in Europe and she's the second oldest living person. She's beaten by a Japanese lady who was 118 
<laughs> on the 2nd of January. And what's interesting to note, the 20 oldest people in the world are all women. Cork Today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. The government have introduced a new payment for people who retire at 65 so that they won't have to seek job seekers' benefit or sign on while they wait to become eligible for the state pension at 66. Sean Moynihan from Alone uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Sean. Good morning. Sean, was this one of these real anomalies almost within the social welfare system? And did many people take great umbrage to the fact that they had to go and sign on at 65 through no fault of their own? I think it was. I, I think, look, we welcome the fact that it's the start of, a, of an anomaly disappearing. I think you're absolutely right. I think a lot of people were very upset that when by contract with their employers, they had to stop working at 65. They then had to go and sign, uh, sign on or to be seen to be looking for work. Now, I don't think it was, in, it was applied, but having said that, it was implied that people were doing this. So I think it's good that that's now gone, but I do think it's very piecemeal um, changes to what we're doing with pensions. In, in what way? What, what would you like to see done? Well, I, I, think, I think for us, this is obviously what we'd say is, is, you know, 203 euros a week for somebody who's worked for a lifetime, it's really, it, it's um, a very small amount of money. It's well below the po- poverty line while people wait to get their pensions, while they wait to get their pensions. I think we know that there's a pension commission and I think we, we, we really want to see the work of that pension commission moved so that they're there is universal access to pensions. You know, women especially have lost out so poorly on carers over the year because they don't have full numbers of stamps and don't even get the full entitlement. So we really want to see things like this changed and fixed for good. And also this issue of people retiring at 65. Some people like to retire at 65 and that's fine. But there are others, Sean, who would like to stay working and they're forced out the door at 65. Exactly. We think, look, this has to become a choice, a, a choice thing. There are so many very active 65-year-olds still running businesses, contributing. And somebody once said to me, is, is, I was competent to do my job at 64. I got a birthday and then all of a sudden I'm not allowed to stay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So it, it's, a, it's a choice thing. Some people will choose to work, should be allowed to choose to work on. Others, there may be physical reasons their own health reasons, there may be family reasons, that's for, and there may be uh, logical reasons that they re- retire. And we need a system that allows these things to happen. The other thing is, you know, the, the blunt instrument seems to be, oh, well, we'll just keep up in the pension age. But for a lot of people, and the, the stats support this, physically, you know, they won't be able to keep working. Some people don't want to keep working. Mm. So I and think it depends the on the nature of the job, doesn't it, as well? It depends on the nature of the job, but it also depends on the, the course of your own life. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So many people, you know, so then what happens is, is if people are forced to work on and maybe have to retire at 65 because of poor health or frailty or bereavement, the, the next thing you know, that any money they do have by the time they get the pension will be gone. Do you know what I mean? We'll be forcing older people into poverty. So I think we need a situation that is much more based around choices and much more based around, you know, the ask of people is too much. This idea that you can, that you can work all your life. And then, you know, if you buy a house or you raise children or you're, or you're renting, 
somehow you'll also have enough money to make personal private provision is a big burden and a big worry for people too. Yeah, somebody's saying, well, you've got Sean on the line. Could you ask about the pension age? Uh, it's it's 66, but it was to go to 67, but they're holding out, they're holding off on that one at the moment, aren't they? Increasing it to 67. Yeah, and I think this is where we want reform. I think they're holding off, and I think that was pressure from older people themselves and from the community, that again, not to just keep raising the age, because as soon as they were raising it to 67, there was already voices in the background saying, let's raise it to 70. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So so it, we need much more comprehensive look at pensions than that. Our, you know, Social Justice Ireland and Sean Healy have done some tremendous work on the on the maths on this. And what they are sort of showing is, is that a half percent on PRSI will probably allow us, do you know what I mean, to pay for an ageing population. You know, that's some of the negative words that people have used around that this is, you know, um, the negative words people have used about ageing around this maybe don't exist. Maybe the financial headache here isn't as bad if we plan ahead as, as we think it is. It's all about planning rather than just raging the pension age and forcing people to work longer, whether they physically or emotionally or, or personally just can't keep going or their companies don't allow them to keep going. Okay, and this new payment, is it in now, um, Sean? I'm thinking of people uh, listening to the programme who are signing on, who are in that limbo land of between 65 and 66. Can they get the new payment? I think I think the understanding is is that, I suppose, the payment hasn't changed. What's happened is, is the, um, the, the, the requirement to be looking for work has gone. Okay. So the payment hasn't changed. But again, what we would point out is, is €203, Euros, you, know, it's, it's a, you know, it's a low amount of money. I think what we all learned, I think what the society learned was that, you know, the job seekers allowance, you know, sometimes it's portrayed that, you know, all giving people an awful lot of money and all this type of stuff. You know, we've seen from the PUP payment is, you know, so much higher because it is really, it is below the poverty mm. line and it's a difficult amount of money to live on. And it's well over 2,000 less than what you would get on the full state pension. So there's, there's a big difference, oh, yeah. it, a big difference. It, it, I think it's two and closer to two and a half thousand yeah. euros yeah. less. Yeah. And, uh, and I think, I think it, it, it sparks the whole debate about pensions, how we're going to support an ageing population, how we're going, go, 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 going to deal with these issues in a fair and equitable way. No, so much of us when we hear pensions, we all turn off a little bit because mm. you know we all turn off a little bit. But this is all our futures, you know. And decisions made today will affect the twenty, thirty, and forty years or olds of tomorrow. Well said, well said. And the, the last time we spoke with you uh, was to do with loneliness and, and older people and how busy you were at alone, uh, Sean. I, I take it not much has changed for you. No, things are things are are still really busy. There's a lot of people. Um, very stressed, very worried. The longevity of this has been difficult for an awful lot of people. A lot of people have been very, very cut off for quite a period of time. And still, you know, and what I'd say now is, is the cold weather doesn't doesn't really help yeah. because you have people having to prioritise spending on, on, on fuel to make sure to keep healthy and well. I think the vaccine is really the light at the end of the tunnel. And we're getting a lot of calls for people just concerned that they'll be missed or forgotten. You know, so we're delighted to see that that starts happening next week and will come down through 
um, the GPs on the basis of people have good relationships and understandings and good contacts with their GPs. Yeah, well said, well said. Okay, stay safe, uh, Sean, and thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Take care. Thank Good you morning much. to you. Bye bye. That is uh, Sean Moynihan of uh, Alone. And just by the way, on that new, uh, the new way that payment will be made to people aged between 65 and 66. It's expect- they, According to the department, there's about 2,000 existing unemployed benefit recipients who will qualify for this new payment immediately. And the department said it's identified the people who are currently receiving the Job Seekers Benefit payment who will be eligible for this new payment and they're in the pro- process of notifying them on the relaxation of the conditions in their, in their claims. So it doesn't change in any way. You'll still get the same amount of money, 203, but at least you're having to say that you're available for work, that particular condition will be removed. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text our WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Now a recent report showed that some nursing home staff were refusing the COVID-19 vaccine. The report shocked many as they care for the most vulnerable in society and there's now a call for the COVID vaccine to be mandatory for all healthcare staff. Ty Daly of Nursing Homes Ireland uh, joins me. Good morning to you Ty. Good morning. Uh, and, you're, and you're welcome. Now you, we Dave. have to say at the outset the majority of staff are willingly rolling up their sleeve and getting the vaccine. Isn't that fair to say? Oh absolutely. Uh, I mean the biggest challenge to date has been rolling out the vaccine quick enough. And I, I think when I spoke on your programme previously, I said that the only side effect was, was euphoria at the time. So, yeah, I mean, what we're seeing is well in excess of 90% uh, of people taking the vaccine. And I suppose the, the concern that was raised in the last number of days is about the, the wider health service in many respects, because uh, while nursing homes are at the front line, so are the acute hospitals and indeed people working in our GP surgery. So uh, what we need to do is ensure that there's a, you know, a, a, a very strong uh, campaign to ensure that everybody is fully informed about the benefits of the vaccine and, and support people to be fully informed. But if there is this 10% who are not taking mm. the vaccine, I mean, I heard, for example, that some nursing homes in Dublin were organising raffles with cash prizes to encourage mm. the staff to get uh, the vaccine. Do you know why 10% of staff don't want to get the vaccine? Yeah, I, to be honest, I don't, uh, because what we've seen, as I say, is, is the complete opposite. No, some people, you know, may be hesitant, uh, because they might need to get more information. But I suppose what we need to do is, is work with people and support people so that they can get all of the right information and, and make the right choice ultimately. Um, you know, the, 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 the flu jab, as it were, every year, I mean, the take-up of that would have been of the order of, you know, 60 65%. And, you know, initially, I suppose, when the COVID vaccine was, was being rolled out, there was, a, a, I suppose, a question mark over uh, the take-up generally. And I think the take-up in, 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 in the health service is, is actually much higher than the take-up in, in general community if it's based on, on surveys that people have done. So, um, you know, it, it, look, it is, it's legitimate of some people to ask questions. Some people may have questions because of, you know, fertility or pregnancy, for example. And, it, that, you know, that may, may be legitimate. But what we'd say to people is that they need to get their information from trusted sources mm. uh, from, from the medical community and indeed uh, ideally their local GP. Yeah, because, I mean, do you feel those working in the sector almost have a moral responsibility, uh, particularly the people they're caring for? They, and I mean, in a nursing home setting, caring for some of the most vulnerable people That's in right. the country. No, absolutely. I mean, uh, as I said, uh, you know, you, 
in your opening remarks there, you mentioned that uh, we have been active in the last number of days. I mean, we've been active, obviously, since January uh, on the whole vaccination campaign. But in the last number of days, when we became aware of some of those issues, uh, as you said, that were reported in Dublin. And I think they are outliers, to be fair, because the, the staff, as you know, and I know, in the nursing home sector have really uh, rolled up their sleeves in every respect, and not least uh, in, in terms of anticipation of the vaccine. So it is a small number. But by the same token, I suppose the point we were making was that, as I say, we do need to support people to make the right choice. Um, I heard some clinicians the other day saying that, you know, the duty of all healthcare professionals is to do no harm. Uh, and in that respect, I think it's important that uh, everybody uh, takes the vaccine. That would be of my view personally, and it would be the view of the organisation. And that if government were to introduce mandatory vaccination, then that is something that we would uh, absolutely support. Is there a record kept of which healthcare worker gets the vaccine and, and who doesn't? Yeah, I, I was kind of surprised. The, the HSE indicated the other day that they don't keep a, a master record as well. But I can assure you that in each of all member nursing homes, and indeed I'm sure in, in, in all of the individual HSE facilities, uh, that there is a record kept. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you're well aware and your listeners would be well aware that, you know, nursing homes are, bar none, the most highly regulated across the health service. So all employees in nursing homes, they have to, you know, uh, have Garda references, Garda checks, they have to have uh, work references, uh, and there would be a significant, I suppose, file, if you like, uh, an HR file on, on record of every staff member, and that would include uh, the flu vaccine, and now we also include the, the COVID vaccine, absolutely. Okay, um, and I knew as soon as we were going to have you on the programme, we were going to have the questions in with the vaccine now, thankfully being rolled out uh, in nursing homes. Lots of people saying, when can I go visit Granny? Uh, when, when, does, when will visiting reopen? Yeah, I mean, that's a huge question, uh, and it's something that I can assure your listeners that we are, we are working on in the background. I was a little bit surprised yesterday when I saw the uh, Deputy Chief Medical Officer making the point that not any day soon. I mean, that was disappointing news to me personally, to be honest, and I'm sure to your listeners as well. So uh, we were encouraged, I suppose, by the news in the last number of weeks that the Minister has now approved antigen testing uh, for use in certain settings. So we have communicated with, with, with the Minister on that, suggesting that antigen testing may be employed uh, as part of a suite of measures to ease visitor restrictions further. So um, I believe the Living with COVID plan by government is going back to government on the 22nd of of this month. Um, So we'd be hoping that there would be some very positive news in in terms of uh, further easing our visitor restrictions. But clearly it'll have to be done with uh, enhanced um, IPC measures for quite some time. Okay, but well people are, are desperate to go back and give their parents or their or their granny a hug. They have Absolutely. people, uh, Absolutely. And, and, and it can't happen soon enough uh, for any of us. Yeah, yeah, it, for it the really residents as well. Soon for any one of us. Yeah, right. not, not least the families themselves. So it is, it is heartbreaking. Okay, yeah. listen, Tig, you look after yourself, and thanks a million for yeah, joining us on the program. Good morning to you. That is uh, Tig Daly, CEO of Nursing Homes Ireland. You're listening to Cork today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. We mentioned pensions in the last hour and in particular to do with this new payment that has now uh, come in for people aged 65 who are forced or who want to uh, retire from work but then they can't qualify for their state pension until they're 66. The payment remains the same but they don't now have to sign on and they don't have to be available for work. That's led to a couple of calls and texts coming in. A call from the Bantry area. St. Patricia, I love your show, thank you very much. Uh, could I ask you a question please? If a man is entitled to the state 
pension. Does his wife also get a pension if the wife never worked? Is she entitled to a pension as well as her husband? I'm talking about a woman uh, who would have stayed at home while the man went out to work. What happens when they reach the uh, the time for the old age pension? Okay, let me just give you the figures. This is based on a contributory pension, assuming that your husband has worked all of his life and he has all of the payments uh, necessary. He's entitled them to the top contributory pension, €248.30. There is then what is called uh, a payment for a qualified adult and it depends if the qualified adult say you're the same age so we'll say that you're over 66 the payment the increase for the qualified adult is 220 euro and 50 so they're combined together so he gets the pension and then there's an extra payment for the qualified adult so yes technically you both qualify it's just it's the one pension it'll be paid to the one person so yes you will get a your husband will get a payment for you when he reaches a retirement age and then staying on retirement regarding this people not get, being able to claim their old age pension be it a contributor or non-contributor until the age of 66 would it not be better if the government legislated for employers to follow the retirement age so that people would be allowed to stay at work until they're 66 or whatever age it goes to in the future and in fairness some employers do that they allow people to work up to say the day before their 66th birthday so as soon as they stop work then they can go straight away on to at their full pension but there are other people but there are I absolutely accept there are other businesses who insist that people stop work at the age of uh, 65 but then there are people who have worked all of their lives and they have looked at 65 as the age that they're going to give up work and there are people who straight away say regardless of whether their employer wants them to stay up or not they want to retire at 65 so going on what you're saying if you legislate it for that it would force people to work on an extra year and when it goes to 67 an extra two years and we know it's going to go to 68 an extra three years and maybe people don't want to work or as I thought uh, Sean Moynihan from Alone you know made a good point as well there are jobs that you know very physical jobs that maybe some people at the age of 65 feel they're just not able to do because of the physicality because of the nature of the work so you'd have to factor that in as well but I do think it should be choice based I I really do I always feel sorry and I've interviewed people over the years who didn't want to retire at 65 and felt they had a lot more to offer and a lot more to to give and really didn't want to leave work and I, I always feel for people who fall into that category but then somebody else sees the other side of it and says the problem with people who work after the age of 85 they make it impossible for younger people to get the jobs because as people retire there's always younger people coming up into the workforce who are available for uh, work. 1850 on vaccinations and should healthcare workers be forced to vaccinate that we discussed with the Tig Daily. Pat Infomoy says, OK, if a healthcare worker has a disease that they can't pass on, it isn't in any way contagious, then that's fine if they want, don't want to take a job or not. But if there is a disease or a virus out there that can be passed on to somebody and ultimately could kill someone, then I feel, says Pat Infomoy, they should be made to take it. There should be a mandatory nature to COVID-19. If not, if they refuse to take it then until we've herd immunity in this country and COVID-19 is behind us they should be made sign off work and go on the pandemic payment instead so Pat very much in favour of introducing it and making it mandatory for all healthcare workers forcing them to take the COVID uh, jab Hi Patricia I have a home carer 
coming into my house but presently not and we've agreed that she won't come back to work in the house as a home carer until she gets her vaccine. We feel safer uh, that way and that's the one problem that I foresee with these 10% even though I saw another survey yesterday that says 15% of nursing home staff uh, who have been offered the COVID-19 vaccine have refused uh, to take it. The worry is if you have a loved one in a nursing home how would you feel about some of the people, some of the carers or some of the nurses. How would you feel about them looking after your loved one if they didn't have the COVID vaccine shot? You know, would you be fearful that they would bring it in and give it to to your loved one? And that's that's what I see really as the big problem with people refusing the vaccine. And then someone else says, but Patricia, what about people that have died in nursing homes after getting the jab? There's no one talking about them. That's from a West Cork listener. Now, unfortunately, we have seen nursing homes come out and say that the vaccine arrived too late. In some cases, people just got the jabs and then they subsequently uh, got diagnosed with COVID and unfortunately died from COVID. That was nothing, can I say, that was nothing to do with the jab. But the one thing that you have to remember about the vaccines, the vaccines that we're using, the three vaccines that we're using in this country, they come in two doses. So you get your first dose and then 28 days later, you have to get your second dose. dose. And data that has come out, particularly from Pfizer-BioNTech uh, vaccine, they show you have partial protection 12 days after the first dose. And it takes a full seven days after you get the second dose to get full protection. So from the first day you get it and then your second shot a month later, it's five weeks in total before you get full protection. And there's also a very cautionary tale that has come out from Israel. Now, Israel is is one of the world leaders in rolling out the jabs. So the rest of the world and particularly all of the scientists and all of the medical professions are all looking to Israel to see what's working and what's not uh, working. And one study found that a person's risk of getting infected with COVID-19 doubled in the first eight days after vaccination. And they reckoned it was because people became less cautious. People believed once they got the jab, oh, we're fine, we're great. And they let their guard down. And because of that, there was this risk of the first eight days because you need the first you certainly need the first 12 days uh, are important to get any kind of an immunity but you need the second shot and then you need a full seven days after the second shot to have full protection. So they've learned from Israel and I, I imagine that it's given out as a warning to people when you get the jab just because you've had the first one and while it, there's a celebratory nature about it, we've seen it on video, videos that have gone in and videoed, particularly in nursing homes and in hospitals when the jab was given, it was almost like, the, you know, there was a celebration going on and rightly so because people are are very much seeing this as the, as the light at the end of the tunnel but people have to be very careful for that fi- from that five weeks from the first shot to the second shot and then another week after before they have full protection and it also even though people are being vaccinated the rules of lockdown apply to everyone regardless of if they are vaccinated or not so it still means even if you have your vaccine it still means no house um, uh, visits uh, and once restrictions start to ease 
very slowly and very cautiously. It does look like that there will perhaps be separate guidelines for those people who have been vaccinated, but we're not at that stage yet. Vaccinated people, for example, still need to wear a mask. They still need to abide by physical distancing. They still need to wash their hands, as does all of those people who will be around the people that are uh, vaccinated. And I know I touched on it with Tyg Daly about nursing home visits and people are saying, you know, Granny's been vaccinated. She's due to get her next one in another week. Will we then, will it be, will we be able to go in and hug Granny, go see my mother, my father, wherever it is, is in a nursing home. Roland Glim, the Deputy Chief Medical Officer, uh, was he was specifically asked about visits into residents of nursing uh, homes uh, and very shortly most of which will all have had their second uh, shot and uh, he said it's still too early to say as to when they will be able to have visits once all residents and healthcare workers are vaccinated they say an assessment then will be done and there are plans to ease up on it but they still as they say there's a lot of virus still out there but I think the the news though to get across to the over 70s, the over 85s are going to be the first now in the community to start the vaccination from next uh, Monday. There are brighter days ahead but we all know everyone, we just have to proceed with caution even after we have been vaccinated. Uh, It's going to take quite some time. We we need 70% of the population vaccinated before we have what is the herd immunity that we need for life to return to some kind of normality. Will we ever go back to the way it was before the pandemic? No way of knowing. Somebody says, Patricia, any idea when third level hands-on courses, for example physio, will return? No. I mean, they're, they're now at this stage looking at the, with the special schools opening tomorrow on 50% capacity and then they're sort of they're now in negotiations, what they do a primary and a secondary school. I did see an article in one of the papers where they reckoned there would be no return to campus for third level for the rest of, of this year, well for the rest of this this up to up to the summertime. Now whether that's going to include hand on, hands-on courses because obviously it's the very nature if you're starting to be a physiotherapist there has to be an aspect of the course, course that is hands-on but as of now no, I would say check it out with your own college to see what plans they have in place because again it'll probably be individual between different colleges and on how they'll actually get people back in to do that actual part of their course uh, work. On the reopening of the country, John says this mighty, what a mighty government we have. You know by that statement, this is somebody's going to bash the government. Plan to get out of lockdown. There was a plan to get out of lockdown on the 5th of March. Are they still planning that? Well, if that does go ahead, all of our hard work since Christmas will be gone. Isn't it great timing? If we open up on the 5th of March, it'll just be in time for the St. Patrick's uh, weekend with a major drinking session in people's pubs. This government must think we are a nation of alcoholics. Sure, they haven't even attempted to close the off-licence. Drink is essential to us, the Paddies, says John. Mind you, we are known as having a drinking culture all over the world and at times we seem to be proud of it. We need we need it to chill. It's actually sad. Bring on St. Patrick's weekend. Time for us all to party like we did at Christmas. What will happen? Lockdown number four will be on its way. Three cheers again for the government. In fairness, John, that's exactly the point that I was making earlier uh, when it has been announced that they're, they're now going back to the drawing board on the reopening of this country. They realised they made too many mistakes 
they can't make the same mistake again. So that's the reason that we had, you know, the Thorne City of Radcar saying we won't be coming out of lockdown on the 5th of March. We're going to have to wait until the 22nd of February to get some kind of a time scale. But what you are predicting is not going to happen. We're not going to be back out in pubs, certainly for St. Patrick's Day this year. They're, they're certainly not going to make the same mistakes again. And Joe in Dumamway on anyone in a nursing home who is refusing the jab. Joe says, tell him I'll have the jab if anyone is turning it down. I was a carer in a nursing home once and it surprises me that they get away with, that the workers are getting away with not having it. Mark my words, says Joe, they will be ousted from the job, but it will just be very discreetly done. They won't be asked to leave because they haven't had the COVID jab. There will be a, there are other ways around getting rid of staff if you want to get rid of them, says Joe in Dumanway. But Joe, like a lot of other people, very surprised to hear that anyone would be turning down getting a COVID-19 jab. 1850-333-103, lines open. C103 Jobs. Cronin Electrical, they're looking for qualified electricians and a first-year apprenticed electrician. And Anybass in Skull, they're recruiting a jewellery maker slash goldsmith. They're also looking for a retails operation manager and a part-time sales assistant. And St. Joseph's Foundation are looking for care assistance for both their day and residential uh, services. And landscaping operatives, they're wanted for Formoy and Middleton. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is... C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Okay, some of your uh, texts coming in uh, to us. Hi, Patricia. I'm actually out of work at the moment. I tested positive for COVID 19. I work in a hospital in Cork. I was very, very careful, but unfortunately, one of my work colleagues wasn't due to that. Some of us at work got infected. It made me very angry for obvious reasons. I don't want to leave my uh, name. Isn't that just utterly shocking and so annoying and disappointing and angry and I can absolutely understand your anger um, and get well soon and, and hopefully you'll be you'll be fine and we'll recover and make a full recover, recovery and everything will be okay with you and talking about people who were angry I got an email in from a young listener to the programme who is a student and when you when you hear her email you'll understand why she wants to remain anonymous but says hi Patricia before I start, I would like to ask if you can keep my name and information anonymous. I am a first year student at UCC. I took out student accommodation at the start of the year. As I'm studying nursing, I knew that I would need a place to study for my placements. I am very worried given the whole COVID situation, so I try to be as careful as I can. I never stayed up at the student accommodation for a full week as I didn't feel the need to, as I was only in college once or twice a week for my practicals. The first week when all the parties were going on there, I went on... when all the parties were going on in student accommodation I stayed at home as I literally was too afraid. However before my first placement started at the end of November uh, my housemates out of eight of us five out of eight of us got COVID so I had to stay 
and go into isolation for two weeks, therefore missing the first two weeks of my placement. I had also just went home two days before I found out I was a close contact, so I was isolating at home. The only thing that got me through those two weeks was knowing that I was not the only one missing out on my placement. In fact, every other student nurse that I knew was also living in student accommodation, were also all isolating because they either got COVID or were close contacts like myself. I wish I could say that it wasn't because of parties, but there was parties going on and they were happening every night. I know this because my housemates were constantly on about it while getting ready. I never went to any of them as I was afraid of contracting the virus and bringing it home to my family. I would like to say that I was jealous of them getting to go out and have fun as I believed and still do that the time will come when I will be able to go out but now is just not the time to do it. Two weeks on and I was out of isolation after testing negative for COVID. I was finally able to start my placement however. My father decided that it would be best if I was driven up and down to my placement as COVID was still very bad in the city. So my father drove me every morning to my placement and collected me from there an hour each way maybe even more in the morning depending on the traffic. To say I felt guilty about my father bringing me up and down is an understatement while doing all this for me he was still going to work as he is an essential worker. What I felt the most guilty about was that he had paid for my accommodation as I had a place to stay for my placement which in the end I didn't even end up using. From the start of the college year in late September to the Christmas break in December, I think I only stayed up there for at least four weeks, keeping in mind that they were only for a few days a week. I then did something that I am now regretting every day since, and that is I paid my second instalment to stay there for my second semester. We're into February now and I've not stepped foot inside there once, nor do I think I will for any time soon, as I've seen the videos of the parties going on up there and I'm gobsmacked, to say the least. I cannot for the life of me understand why students think it is OK in a level five lockdown to go to their student accommodation and party like everything is normal. Is it because they don't want to, in adverted commas, waste their money's worth? There's people fighting for their lives in hospital over this virus. People who have lost loved ones and never got to say a proper goodbye. I would love to get your listeners' opinions on all of this, Patricia. Thank you for reading out my very long email to you. And again, please, for very obvious reasons, don't mention my name or give out any information. Goodness me. Well, listen, you're doing everything right and that's all you can do. That's all. And I've said it. I, I'm sick of saying it, but I will continue to say it. We can forget about what our neighbours are doing and we can give out about them all, all we like, but just turn a blind eye to them. You just do your own thing. You do what's right for you. And I know it's galling to this young student to have forked out, you know, that amount of money and not to be getting your money's worth uh, back on it. And that's that side of it is really, really uh, annoying. But you're doing the right thing. You're absolutely doing the right thing and you are protecting yourself and you are protecting, if you're on placement, you're protecting the people that you're going in to look after, but you're also protecting your own family, uh, which is very important as well. I did hear at the weekend that there was some parties going on in uh, Cork City. I was listening at one of the national stations. They had somebody travelling around with Angarda Shia Corner and 
I actually heard a report of one young guy who rang the Gardaí and reported the students, or I don't know if they were students, well, the, the tenants in the house with them, his housemates, he reported them. There was a house party going on. He was so sick of it. He needed to get up for work the next day, but it wasn't even the, that he was getting disturbed sleep. It was the fact that he was working in a, in a retail supermarket setting and he would be dealing with, with people and some older people and vulnerable people. And he said he was terrified that, you know, they'd bring COVID into the house by having a party, pass it on to him. So he called the guards and they all got, they all got fined and I thought brave lad indeed brave lad so well done to that young student you're doing the right thing and that's all you can do just look after your own corner protect yourself protect your family and those that you are looking after while on your placement and we wish you continued um, continue good health during this uh, pandemic and good luck with your studies. 1850 Now while discussing the issue of dog attacks on livestock yesterday. The issue of dog fouling was raised on the programme and nearly every single area of Cork, I think, got a mention yesterday for people just disgusted with people not being responsible and cleaning up after their dogs. It's an issue that has been raised by Cork City Councillor John Maher, who uh, joins me. Good morning to you, John. Good morning. Now, I'm very well. You're, you're in the Ballyvalan Glanmire uh, areas. How bad is dog fouling in your area? Oh yeah, it's, it's pretty bad now, Patricia. Look, it's it, but it's everywhere. I mean, you know, I suppose with uh, being a city councillor, you'd you'd be around other parts of the area as well. Um, and it, it's there's no area that that gets away with it. Um, and it just seems I maybe now because we're we're we're, we're stuck to our five Ks and uh, people are using local amenities more than we ever did now because of COVID. Um, I think it's it's definitely something now that that time and time again. I was only out for a run myself again. Um, on the weekend when I posted it um, and it just was it was everywhere um, and you know I think it's just something now that we need to address and, and when you look at the fines or the lack of fines and the lack of enforcement from from council over the last few years you, you have to wonder it's time it's time to look at it and, and to be serious about it if we are to stop it but how do what do we do how do we enforce it the dog warden will say they have to catch the dog in the act yeah, yeah, that's that's why it is a hard one, okay? And I suppose before we go down the lines of, of suggestions with council, etc., I think there's a big element of personal responsibility. And I genuinely mean that because it's it's our dog. We own them and we bring them out knowing that this may happen. So there's the personal responsibility element um, and I think people really need to wise up to that because we're destroying playgrounds we're destroying playing pitches. We're destroying public walks, um, and we're just destroying just our general footpath. Um, but from a council side, um, I have a motion going in next uh, next council meeting uh, to empower the litter warden, or sorry, the dog warden, uh, just to, uh, to maybe to be able to issue fines if you don't have a bag and you have a dog. Um, again, it's not going to solve the problem a hundred percent, but I think we need to clamp down and take it serious. Um, and we need, um, we like you know, at the moment, if you see it, there was four fines, three are paid, one wasn't. So if you're looking at that from the outside, you're probably just throwing your shoulders up going, they're not going to catch me, they're not going to do anything. Um, and again, I believe the people that are doing it certainly don't have a bag on them. 
Yeah, here's here's like here's Tara saying I gave up walking my children in my local GAA club in Clodov with all of the dogs and the dog poo all over the place. People simply just walk away, have their dogs out, and then just walk away. No attempt to clean up after their own dogs. Yeah, that's that's the reality. And um, again, I spoke to the director of services within Cork City Council uh, only on Monday. Um, and again, an educational program, you know, I think a lot of people now are scrolling, we're online. And if we can just get the message out, actually how serious dog poo is and what it will actually do, like to, to our, to whether it's a buggy, whether it's a smallie picking something up, whether it's somebody using a mobility aid, you know, it just affects so many people. Um, and I think it's time um, that we do, again, on the public walk, we, we say on the public walk ones, definitely more bins. That is something that we can do. Again, we can't have a bin on every corner. But what we can do on public immunity walks, um, we definitely need more bins there. You know? Yeah, we know uh, the... Yeah, and the we actually know the areas where people walk a lot of their dogs. They're, yeah. they're very popular uh, spots. Yeah. But, but Neil, one of our listeners, makes an interesting point. Uh, why could we not have parks just for dogs? So there would be only be dog and dog owners that are in there. Now, I've seen these operate in Spain where there's areas and they're just for dogs. No, come here. I, I'd be all for that. And in fairness, uh, to, in fairness to a lot, there's a number of Cork City councillors Thomas Maloney sticks out in my head. I think there was one or two others that have put through that proposal. But Patricia, let's just remember one thing, though, is that if there is a dog-only park, you still need to pick up after yourself. Yeah, oh, absolutely, no, absolutely, no, you know, yeah, so like, yeah. So I, I, I'm all for a dog-friendly a dog, uh, park, but that's not solving the problem. I, I, People need to pick up after themselves. I mean, you know, like I, I've heard it being said, you know, oh, we, we educate young people in schools. I don't know... It's not the young people walking their dogs that are allowing their dogs to do what they're doing. Um, I know my nephew, he's 11. And if there was dog poo and I asked him to sit down and have his lunch next to it, he'd run a mile. Like kids know Mm -hmm. it's dirty. Kids Mm -hmm. know it's wrong. This is an adult problem. This is adults doing this. And again, I'm all for a dog only park. Absolutely, 100%. But we still, that's not solving the problem of picking up after a dog. You know, and I, and I, I suppose. What we're what what I've been trying to do is that a way of enforcing more fines. It's not going to solve everything, but again, we need to change the culture. And someone had said to me, "Oh, I may have forgot my bag uh, when you're going out for a walk." But I suppose, like asking somebody, have they a light? Have they the time? You know, Asks, we, we, yeah. it's a culture. It's a culture thing. And okay, it's it's a slow burner. And I understand that we didn't always do it, but no, we have to change it. And again, I don't think. Um, you know, enforcement officers are going to be out picking everyone for a bag. And I would say to you, we all forget things. And we always ask somebody, oh, you wouldn't have the time there. You wouldn't have a light. And somebody obliges, you know. I mean, again, in the public parks in particular, more bins and more, we'd say, bag, uh, I suppose, places where you can get a bag, if that's the case. Um, you know, we could also I, I, legislate whereby if you were out walking your dog, you must have, you could be stopped by a dog warden and they do this in other countries. You can be stopped by a dog warden and you must produce the bags to prove that in case your dog goes to the toilet. Well, look, sir, I have my bags. I have my bags with me. We could bring in a bylaw like that. That um, that's, if you're, what, that's what my motion is next month. Is it? Um, okay. In Cork City Council. Yeah, no, no, 100%. It is because I believe we need to put for the want of a better expression, the fear of God into people, you know, because it's not the majority of people. You know, I see it, I, I live outside a public park. Every day you see people picking up after their dog. 
you know. And sometimes, because this has come back at me as well, sometimes you have to bring the bag home with you. It's like if your baby goes to the bathroom, you put it in one of the flurry bags and you wait till you have a bin. Yeah. You don't just throw it into Absolutely. the dish. Absolutely. You know, I, I like, Absolutely. And again, the majority of people are doing this and I do believe that we'll get the culprits, we'll hit them where it hurts and that's what we need to do in, in order to get on top of this. More bins in the public parks, more, again, maybe a bag dispensing unit in a public park and walkways um, and then the fines for where it is really bad and as you say, give Give the dog, uh, the dog warden, the power to fine people if they don't have bags with them. Yeah, if they, you have to have bags with you. So when Liz says owning a dog seems like a fashion item at the moment. Look at me, I've rescued a dog. But where's the responsibility, says uh, Liz. And someone else says the reason that it's it's so bad at the moment is so many people during lockdown uh, decided to get a dog. So there are a lot of irresponsible dog owners uh, out there. You know, Patricia, what I'd say to that, though, is that dog fouling has been an issue for a long time. I don't think COVID can get the blame for it. I think that this is something But where I'm becoming frustrated on is that Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting it to change is not working in Cork City. And I'd imagine across every council throughout the country. And I think, no, we need to change our tact um, if we're to be serious on this to protect our public walkways and our public parks um, and and to hit the people that are doing this. You know, it is ruining communities. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, and that's where we need to do something different to get okay, on top well of done, Well done. I can see a lot of people saying congratulations and do something and do it quickly. OK, we leave it there, John. Listen, thank Thanks you for that. For sure. Thanks, no Thanks for joining us. That is Cork City uh, Labour Councillor John Marr. 1850 333 103. Cork today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. To celebrate C103's brand new breakfast show, we're giving away thousands of euro. Ken's Pure Cork Quiz is your chance to win free cash on C103. Answer three Cork questions in just 20 seconds to win 103 euro. And stay listening across the day because there's loads of chances to play. Take me to the top, I'm ready for whatever your court quiz. Stay listening on your phone, smart speaker and radio for your chance to grab the cash. Free cash. Only on C103. The JNLR's Radio in a Digital World report, which was compiled by Ipsos MRBI from the most recently published listenership data, shows that listening to Irish radio stations via digital devices is growing. Scott Williams is the independent chair of the JNLR committee and he joins me to discuss uh, this uh, research in more detail. Good morning to you, Scott. Good morning, Trisha. How are you? I'm very well and you're welcome to the programme. I mean, am I assuming young people are the highest users of digital devices when it comes to listening to radio? Well, yes, you would assume quite correctly. Um, they are indeed. Um, we tracked um, the, the growth of the digital listening uh, over the last five years particularly and we've seen that grow to, to a new high watermark, if you like, of 17.2%. And the 17.2% is the time, the share of the time that those young people spend listening to radio. But it's important, Patricia, that the point isn't lost, that 7 out of 10 of those young people are listening to radio in the first place. Because a lot of naysayers these days say young people don't listen to the radio. 
Actually, they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, yeah, I was thinking about this when I was looking, when I was reading through the report. I mean, while video didn't kill the radio star, digital is actually encouraging the younger people to listen to radio. Yeah, it is. And I think that's, um, I think it's a dual-edged sword. I think we, we have, you know, the ubiquitous nature of digital devices. Uh, I'm speaking on one and you're broadcasting on one this morning. Uh, but also the fact that radio has embraced the digital devices. The, at the core of this is the relationship between uh, radio and the listener. And the content is what drives that uh, relationship. The trust in the content, the reliability in the content, the ease of access of the content. And in the case of uh, local radio like C103, all you're interested in is Cork. And you're looking at the world through Cork eyes and there's a Corkness that's attached to all of that. And that's, that is at the fundamental uh, root of the success of, of the radio station. In radio, C103, like everybody else, realises that we need to provide our content where people want it. And digital devices, certainly, it, it's a growing phenomenon. Um, but it's growing perhaps more slowly than people would realise. It is growing more more strongly amongst younger people. I think that's quite uh, intuitive. But we've adapted. We're on mobiles, we're on websites, we're on smart speakers, we're on all these things. But I think it's really important this morning to remember this is radio that people are listening to. And no, the digital device didn't kill the radio star right <laughs> Okay, because I certainly, and we would have noticed over the last um, a couple of years, and particularly I think during the pandemic, the amount of overseas listeners that we have who are obviously listening on, on a digital uh, device, and the majority of them are originally from Cork, and they feel like they're at home, even though they're scattered all over the globe. Well, yes, and, and and isn't that the beauty of the fact that that, that signal, for want of a, a better and probably slightly inappropriate term, it can travel all that distance abroad, whereas we, we can have it on FM there in, in Cork and we can have it on our digital as well. It's just a sign of the community that grows up around a radio station, and particularly in Ireland, the community that grows up around a local radio station, because the local radio station is the people the people bond with the station because the station cares about the people. And when you're somewhere far, 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 as I might say, Patricia, you know, there's, I've been there myself, there's something very comforting about dialing up the app and, and hearing the shows that you know from home. Yeah, and even, you know, people, when we when a townsland is mentioned, you know, and we've got some very unusual townslands, and, you know, you'll often hear somebody say, my God, I haven't heard of that place in years, and, you know, I used to visit there with my grandfather or whatever, and they can bring back memories, which is great. But we, with the Irish, Scott, we have a great love affair with radio. We always have, and, and we it's not waning in any way. No, it isn't waning at all. I mean, it's, it's, it, you can see it very strongly um, in that, new generation of listeners uh, coming up. If you would pardon me the cliche, you know, if you think about it, radio is the original social medium. And if you go on YouTube and go back and look for 1940s or whatever footage, you'd see people sitting around a mighty wireless set of an evening time because there's no television. I mean, nowadays we don't sit around the radio, but um, it's still relevant to us. It's where people go. You turn it on, whether it's logging on the phone or turning on the radio, getting into the car. And we know that car listening, of course, would be much less nowadays with the pandemic. But you're inviting someone in and that person's welcome. There's someone with you. It's companionship, it's company, it's information, it's entertainment. And you're not on your own. 
Okay, and obviously Jane Alar figures and uh, there's no research going on at the moment because of the pandemic because that's, that's door-to-door, isn't it? That, it is door-to-door. I'll explain to you very briefly. We, um, the Jane Alar Committee, we produce um, the listenership uh, data we, we, we produce. It's a joint effort between all of the independent radio stations like C103 and 96FM and Red FM and Radio Kerry and everybody else all across the country, plus the national stations. And we partner with RTE for their services and with the Institute of Advertising Practitioners and R&I Appy and with the Association of Advertisers and with the regulators of the AI. We're all together in a committee and have been for, oh, probably something like 30 years now producing uh, radio research. And we do it to help um, advertisers plan schedules because you need to place your, your messages where the maximum number of people can can hear them. And secondly, then to you know develop your schedules, get your feedback and, and move the thing on. So it's, it's a dual-edged sword. So what we do is we, with JNLR, conduct the, uh, the... It's the largest media survey in the whole country. In a normal year, Patricia, and please, God, we'll get one sometime soon, we would conduct 16,500 interviews right across the country. It's the biggest sample because it's the biggest survey. And they're face-to-face? Yes, face-to-face, yeah. door-to-door. Yeah. And uh, that's how it's done. It's um, Yeah, because we, we'd often get, have you know, every now and again, we'd have a listener ring in to say somebody called to their door and they wanted to know what it was all about. We'd say, yeah, that's the JNLR. You know, that's, you know. Yeah, it might sound slightly old school, but believe it or not, it is an incredibly effective um, way of, of surveying uh, people's listening and people's habits. Now, and not to say, of course, that we also haven't piloted other methods, you know, digital devices and tablets and all these things. Mm. Yeah, we tried all of that. What we have works really well. And we're very proud of what we have. It's accurate and it continues to be that currency, if you will, that, that sort of agreed measure uh, of listening in Ireland. Why fix what isn't broken, Scott? Listen, well, we, uh, we, we leave it there. Thank you for that. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really interesting study that you've produced. And uh, thank you for joining us on the programme this morning. My great pleasure. Thank you very Good much. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Scott Williams, who is the independent chair of the JNLR uh, committee, showing uh, that radio can still continues to be as strong as ever uh, in this country, with 81% of all Irish people tuning into radio every day. Long may it continue, says she. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Some of your thoughts coming in on dog fouling. Now, this one really surprised me when we were discussing it in the last hour. Pat says, Patricia, the most awful, dirty, filthy, disgusting thing that was ever introduced is asking people to pick up dog poo. It is also extremely dangerous as dogs carry disease. Like many other practices that have been forced upon us, this should be outlawed. Cop on, people. And don't be letting these sick people destroy your lives. I am really taken aback by that, Pat. So what you're saying is don't clean up after your own dog, but expect somebody else uh, to do it. And nobody is asked to physically put their bare hand when cleaning up after the dog. That's the idea of those dog, those poo bags that you get. You put it over your hand, pick it up, and then you dispose of it. Because if you go with your theory, if you're saying to dog owners, don't be responsible and don't be picking up after your own dog, your own dog, you're leaving it to somebody else or else you're leaving it to somebody to walk into it. Somebody could slip on it and fall children when they're out playing. So no, I completely disagree with you that it is not, an ex- it's extremely dangerous and irresponsible of a dog owner not to clean up after their dog. I would go the exact 
opposite to your viewpoint. But thank you for your text to 0862 103 103. Michael says, Patricia, how are you doing? Listening to your dog fouling interview. I was in Bandon last week and the footpath on the lower back key covered in dog poo. It's an hour footpath. I was trying to keep my distance from other people and the dog poo, to be honest, you'd need to be an acrobat. But my main point uh, for contacting you this morning is as I was heading back to my car, there was a dog warden with a bag full of it on the path. Is there any way of tracing the owners after the fact, like CCTV cameras? Could we start using DNA, says Michael? Well, only so many people have mentioned DNA and it, it, I don't know which country, but I know it works in other, it, they have introduced it in other countries and it's when you get your dog microchipped, they take a DNA sample and they have this DNA database of all of the dogs in particular areas and throughout the country and then they can clearly trace if they get if they if someone leaves it behind they can check the DNA I don't know how expensive all of this is but it certainly does operate in other countries do we have anything like this in this country unfortunately not but it has been suggested many many times uh, thank you for your text Michael Terry says Patricia what about the people who are responsible and they do pick up after their dog and then they'll walk 50 yards down the road and when no one is l- looking they'll toss the plastic bag with the dog poo in and they'll toss it into a ditch or over somebody's wall Talk to anyone. Thank you, Terry. Talk to anyone who works in tidy towns groups or anyone who goes out litter picking. They'll talk about that when you're, you know, they're cleaning up an area the side of the road and they'll find that that's actually worse. You'd be better off if you're going to clean up after your dog and you don't want to bring it home and there isn't a bin around and you're not willing to carry it with you. You'd be better off opening up the bag and putting it into the ditch so at least it'll biodegrade somewhere in you know in under the ditch but tossing it like that is I mean I've we've had people contact us to say that dog owners you know just toss it over a wall it'll land into somebody's garden for somebody else to pick up yeah just very annoying and Tara who was on to us earlier when we first mentioned that we were going to be discussing it and she was making the point that she has actually stopped walking her children in her local GAA club in Kladov because of the number of people who either their dogs wander off and that can be frightening for children but also they don't clean up after their uh, dogs and she said we've just had to give up walking there which is really unfortunate when it's a facility on Tara's doorstep that her and her children should be allowed to use. She came back and said the lads who have to cut and trim the grass end up getting covered in the dog pool which is just Absolutely disgusting. Really, really bad. 1850 A listener says, what about dogs being walked without a muzzle on? Formoy listener says, I'm talking about big, aggressive dogs. It's certainly happening in the Formoy area. There are a list of breeds which you must have a muzzle on, the dangerous dogs breed. And if, if I don't, you just say big, aggressive dogs, if they're, they're mentioned and they're one of the dogs listed in the dangerous dogs breed then that's illegal what they're doing and they could be stopped and fined uh, by the dog warden but I don't know what dogs you can have you could have the smallest little Jack Russell that can be quite aggressive you know you can get very aggressive dogs some are very aggressive most dogs are not but you can get very aggressive dogs and that's really frightening if you're out walking and somebody comes against you and you feel that the dog is uh, is very aggressive on vaccines listener says Patricia when is the next vaccine coming and I'm not too sure what you mean by that 
I, I take it you mean that another one getting approval. I know the Johnson & Johnson one is due for approval uh, soon. And the Russian one, funny enough, uh, Sputnik, isn't that what it's called? That's showing great efficacy in Russia. And I know the European Union last week certainly were looking at the Russian one, whether that will get approval or not. So, no, I don't have a date on when the next one is uh, coming. And, of course, we have to wait in this country. We have to wait for the European Medicines Agency to approve it and then once it's approved for the EU because we buy collectively with the EU then it comes to this country and we decide how we're going to uh, administer it and actually I saw Ursula von der Leyen the European Commission President saying that she deeply regrets the mistakes that have been uh, made when it comes to I know she was talking about the triggering of, of Article 16 but she's also you know talking about mistakes that they have made with the rollout of the uh, vaccine and I think that's one of the ones the European Medicines Agency where nobody's taking that they're trying to be ultra careful but they, they seem to be ultra conservative in the way they give their approval you know America and Britain have given approval to vaccines way ahead of the European Union and that's delaying the rollout then of the vaccines here. So no, I don't have a date on when the, when the next vaccine is going to be uh, approved. Uh, C, C, somebody just signs themselves, C in Cork says, I think uh, everyone should have the right to choose whether they want to get the vaccine or not and they should have the right to refuse. At the end of the day, we live in a democracy. Healthcare workers should not be penalised for their choice to refuse the, the jab but C in Cork says just transfer them. Well, the, yeah, I mean, I, I think it. Uh, the, they're talking. I mean, there's been speculation and talk about making it mandatory. What you have to remember when you're in that line of work as a healthcare worker, you're there to protect the people that you're looking after as well. And I don't think anyone would like the idea of bringing in something that could ultimately go on and kill someone. But anyway, you are right. We do live in a democracy. And at the moment, it is a choice whether people take the vaccine uh, or not. And Martin Infamoy says, Patricia, you were talking about getting back to normal and living a normal life again in this country. We'll never get back to normal. Why? Because we have people who are still not sticking to the rules and regulations. Constantly seeing people calling into other people's uh, houses. Also uh, Patricia, I won't be getting the vaccine until probably May or June and then I'll have to wait another 28 days for the second one. What a laugh on 55, says Martin in Formoy and he's looking at the time uh, scale, May or June and then even when you get your second jab after 28 days you then have to wait another seven days uh, before you are fully covered and the the, the vaccine uh, fully works. But you don't know, Martin, you, we, we still don't know when the general population uh, is going to get it. We don't know what new vaccines are coming out. There could be other vaccines that will come on. The Johnson & Johnson one is an interesting one that I'm keeping an eye on because that isn't two jabs, that's one jab. So you get your one jab. I don't know how many days after you get your first jab are you protected, but that, that is different and they're, they're kind of, any of those one jabs are kind of looked as, as game changers, even though the AstraZeneca is looked at as a real game changer, which I think is the one that the majority of the population are going to have to get and you certainly have to wait uh, at least 28 days for the second jab there. And Michael then on a completely different issue says, Patricia, you were speaking about the old age pension earlier on. I was. And there was a lady asking about being a stay-at-home mother, married all of her life and wondering would she qualify for a payment 
on her husband's stamps when her husband gets the pension and uh, you replied and you spoke about on a contributory pension 248 odd and then 220 but it came across in the information you gave that the two payments were paid together well Michael says this is not correct the wife payment is paid into her own to her alone either at the post office or lodged into uh, a bank and I did not realise that Michael I always thought that when a husband and wife when whoever applied for the pension, I thought it came as one payment. Is that an individual choice or is that the way it always happens? That the, the what do they call it, the qualified dependent, the increase for qualified dependent is paid separately. I was not aware of that. So, so thank you. I bow to your superior knowledge, Michael, and I'm glad to pass on that information to that listener who was wondering about it. It will be paid separately uh, to you. I can see questions coming in for Peter Dowdle. Can you keep, the, can you keep those uh, coming in? And also an, a listener, and I know John Paul, I don't know whether John Paul has the time yet to get through to this lady or not. Anne has contacted us um, and John Paul is great at working on these kind of problems behind the scene but and says Patricia I go off subject here but I live alone and the internet is my only contact with the outside world be it email or Facebook and I see them as vital to me it can be very lonely uh, especially during this lockdown uh, because of health problems I don't work I'm over the age of 60 uh, is it because I'm living in a rural area I'm having a problem with my broadband I've tried contacting my supplier and I simply can't get through to them my supplier is called New Wave loneliness is awful at this time got out the students if they're having a similar problem to me because they need the broadband in order to study I only go into town once a fortnight I go to pick up medication and to do a grocery shop that keeps me going for two weeks and I'm doing that to protect myself from COVID. My contact with the outside world has been cut off completely now because my broadband isn't working and I don't have many phone numbers for people as I mainly contact people through social media or by email. Please see if you can help. I'd be ever so grateful if you could find out what's happening and I know as I asked John Paul to get working on it and I know he straight away, he's very busy at the moment obviously, he normally does a lot of this work in the afternoon. I know he, he went and rang New Wave to see and he said definitely the phone is ringing it could and when Anne is saying you're not getting through John Paul has discovered in the past with a lot of the providers be it phone particularly phone providers but even electricity providers and gas suppliers whatever it is or or telephone you have to have a lot of patience when you ring these places because if there's a flood of complaints coming in or a flood of problems coming in they don't I don't know whether they don't seem to have as many call service customer care people working during the pandemic or not but we were always hearing about people saying they can't get through they can't get through they can't get through but we found if you can just have the patience and I'm, I'm assuming Anne from your lengthy text that you have you have been patient and staying on the phone just stay with them until eventually somebody will pick up the phone and answer you but as I said John Paul is looking into it for you but we give it out to see if anybody else is having a problem I don't know it is and just as she lives in a rural area I don't know what part of County Cork in the rural area she lives in but the company are called New Wave anybody else having a problem with their broadband going down and if anybody has advice please for Anne love to hear from you Jim says Hi Patricia it was hard watching the primetime programme last night the one where they went in onto the ICU in Tala Hospital uh, dealing with Covid 
with patients and the amazing job that the healthcare staff do and no wonder they are burnt out watching that programme last night. I happened to be listening to the news on C103 also that the government want to grant the Attorney General an increase of €80,000. Now I must have missed that story because this one is lost on me. It's a top up to the salary on top of 200000 the Attorney General is this the I think it's the Department of Health you're talking about is it anyway a civil servant um, I and then one TD said that 80,000 euro would be the wouldn't even be an average wage for one of our healthcare workers it'll make your blood boil uh, I don't think any public servant would work as hard as our healthcare workers are working how out of touch are the government uh, that they could even consider a pay rise like this and all they want to give student nurses is a round of applause and no money to pay them but they've plenty to pay their own public uh, servants. There was always the argument if you pay peanuts you get uh, monkeys. I worry sometimes about who's running this country uh, says uh, Jim. 1850 Thank you for that Jim and you were, you were right about that programme uh, last night. I don't know how many people did sit down and watch and it was a lengthy programme as well. It was a exhausted by the time I went to bed. I didn't realise it was going to go on so long. But yes, it was a tough, tough watch. Uh, thank you for your text. And thank you to Martin in West Cork. When I was talking about people who are really, really struggling during this lockdown, and for some reason people are feeling that they're struggling more this time than they have done in any of the previous lockdowns. Martin says, Patricia, COVID or no COVID, there should be nobody suffering and battling mental illness at the moment or even considering taking their own lives. There's plenty of treatments out there to soothe those who are not themselves mentally. First of all, remember a problem shared is a problem halved. There are over 20 brands of antidepressants in circulation at the moment. So if the first doesn't work, there are many, many others. You will find one that will work. All is not lost. And then there are many, many dozens of other treatments that are out there for people who are suffering from a low mood. Martin's message today, there are solutions to low uh, mood. Please reach out. And that kind of ties in what I was saying earlier on when I mentioned that at the top of the programme this morning. If you are struggling, please reach out. And as Joe Heffernan would always say on his slots on a, a Tuesday, your GP is your first port of call and GPs are available. You mightn't be physically able to get into the surgery to sit opposite them and, and have a chat uh, but they talk to people over the phone and they can diagnose people over the phone and they can get, if it's medication that you need they can get medication to you or they can suggest therapies that might help for you. So thank you for that uh, to Martin in West Cork sending a little bit of positivity to us. 1850 Questions for Peter please for our gardening slot if you have a gardening question you can get those in and you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council's Community Support Programme Here to assist vulnerable people With their daily needs Through the COVID-19 pandemic See corkcoco.ie Beira West Cork Family Resource Centre They're running online courses Through Zoom It's on wellbeing They do them on Tuesday mornings At 11am All are free And are facilitated By experienced support workers They also have online sessions On mindfulness and self-care tips for mums that's on Wednesday mornings and then there's evening sessions on listening skills for parents and carers that's at 5pm on Wednesdays to register for any of these free courses contact Natalie at 086 
80093. And the Cope Foundation are appealing for people to participate in their 300,000 Steps Challenge during the month of February. You register online at cope-foundation.ie forward slash February challenge. It's to help raise funds for projects and programmes that empower and support people with intellectual disabilities and autism across Cork City and County. Cork Today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. John Paul just tells me he has made contact with that broadband provider, New Wave, and they're going to contact Anne directly and uh, sort, sort her out because it is tough enough living on your own without having broadband which seems to be her main source for contacting uh, people. So well done, John Paul. To celebrate our brand new breakfast show, we're giving away thousands of euro on C103. Whatever it Whatever it takes, it takes you to answer three questions all about Cork for your chance to win €103. And I heard Ken this morning, he had another winner. I'd love to have a winner uh, today. Eileen Connolly is in Carrick, Navarre. Good afternoon to you, Eileen. Good afternoon, Patricia. You feeling lucky today? Oh, hopefully. Okay. Now, John Paul tells me that all of these questions, they have already been asked at some stage since we started this competition. So if you've heard a lot of the questions before, how have you done when you're playing at home on your own and you're not up against the clock? Oh, okay. You've done okay. All right, then. Okay. Are you ready to go? I am, yeah. Three questions coming your way. Are you ready for it? Three, two, one. The class ticket. True or false, Fishy Fishy is a well-known Kinsale restaurant. It is true. Spell the Cork Town Macroom. M-A-C-R-O-O-M. On what Cork Island would you find Fort Mitchell? Spike Island. Well done! Yes. We have another winner. <laughs> 103 euro. Congratulations to you. Uh, well done, well done, uh, Eileen. Is it bitterly cold in Carrick Navarre? It is freezing, yeah. Well, a little bit of a wind might warm you up. Congratulations. Thanks a million. Thanks a million. <laughs> bye bye. Okay. That is Eileen Connolly in Carrigavar, our latest winner, because we are aiming to give away thousands and thousands of euro with this competition. We want to spread the love and also celebrate our brand new breakfast show with uh, Ken Tobin by giving away thousands of uh, euros. So there's Eileen Connolly in Carrigavar showing how easy it is in 20 seconds to answer the three questions and all of the questions relate to Cork. Nick Richards will play another round this afternoon and Martina will play the final round of the day today and then we'll start it all over again tomorrow and of course it is to celebrate Ken Tobin's brand new breakfast show so he plays twice 20 past 7 and 20 past 8 tomorrow morning Ken's Pure Cork Quiz Answer the questions to win the cash only on C103 The secret to visibly firmer summer-ready skin is here Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. 
Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A malibu.com, code GLOW. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Peter Dowdle, theirishgardener.com, joining us on what is a bitterly cold uh, day. Uh, good afternoon to you, Peter. What did I say to you about February last week, Trish? Uh, well, do you know something I, I quoted said, I you? I said it's traditionally our coldest month. I quoted you over the weekend on it and by God, how right you are. We're in for a right dollop. Yeah. Even though it's only going to be tomorrow and then it's meant to get milder again across the weekend. I think so. As, as somebody said, it's not quite the beast from the east, more no. like the Jack Russell from the east. So, yeah, we'll go with that. <laughs> and, and listen, we might be lucky. They might just stay in the east and we might not get any of it down here at all. OK, let me get yeah, straight straight into questions. This came in nice and early this morning. Michael and Bantry. Question for Peter, please. I sowed sunflower and sweet pea seeds. At what stage should I repot them and support them with bamboo canes? It's kind of when they're big enough, if you like, Trish, there's no there's no rule on it as such. So they'll germinate, you know, quickly enough, particularly if they were sown indoors at the moment. So when they're about, if you've started them off in a seed tray, when they've produced maybe two or three sets of true leaves. Now, what I mean by true leaves is the first leaves that any seedling will, will produce are called seed leaves and they're not specific. So it's when, when you see the sweet pea leaves, when you see maybe two pairs of them, the, the, the seedling would probably be about four inches at that stage. Then I would look at taking them out of the seed tray or the small pot that you started them off in, potting them on into a slightly bigger pot, an individual pot. Uh, uh, and from then on, you could try a small little stake, but really when they're four inches, they won't need staking for another while. But I suppose the sooner you get the stake in, the sooner they'll start climbing up it. Okay, Breda in Mallow, could you please ask Peter, is, would now be a good time to cut all types of roses back? I also want slash need to move a climbing rose. When would you suggest I do that? Now and now. So yes, now is the time to cut all the roses back. Uh, I, I like to have mine done certainly by the end of February, start of March. If it runs into March, it's not the end of the world by any means. Uh, but I, I try and get mine done by the end of February. Um 
moving it is right now and you're you're not that you're running out of time but you're you're getting towards the end of moving time so uh, this cold weather is actually doing you a favor because the lower temperatures keep the plants dormant uh, and you want those plants to be absolutely dormant when you're moving them so that the the chance or the plant has a chance to repair any damage done to the roots during the move before they start actively growing again in the in the spring so um yeah soon as soon as possible Okay, Mick in Boscovent has grey moss growing on apple trees. He wants to know what is the cause of it. Well, it's not grey moss. It's actually well, without seeing it, but it, it's. A, I imagine it's it's lichen. It's a, a lichen. It's a type of um. It's a type of lichen. Don't ask me which one it is. It looks like moss, but it's actually doing no harm at all to the to the to the apple tree, uh, and it's actually a good sign because it's a sign of a, of a clean and healthy environment or a clean atmosphere. There's no pollution in the air because it won't grow in polluted areas. So, uh, it, it's just a naturally occurring like moss, like any of these things, but it's not doing any harm. I would always leave it on the tree, uh, except maybe if it's growing around the leaf buds or the or the the fruiting spurs, it might prevent them from opening fully. So, if it's around the buds, then then rub it off but otherwise leave well alone. Anne in Mitchestown has a St John's Worth shrub growing at her front wall. It's now gone what she describes as a bit, a bit wild. Is it okay to prune it back now? There's a very technical term when you're dealing with St John's Worth when you're cutting it back and it's called hack it back. So cut <laughs> it back as hard as you want um, and it, 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 it's summer flowering so cut it back now uh, it'll respond well to as, as I say being hacked back. Okay, my neighbour who is a farmer has offered me horse manure for my compost heap. He's previously had trouble with some Japanese knotweed on his land. Could it be possible possibility of Japanese knotweed spreading to my garden via the horse manure? Wondering what to do. Okay, it's a possibility, yes. Um, on saying that, before before the caller mentioned Japanese knotweed, I, I thought, but it was just horse manure, I was going to say two things. And number one is, with horse manure, it's a great uh, additive to the soil. Just make sure it's well rotten. And well rotten in that those in, in that instance means about two years old. So good horse manure should, or good any farmyard manure, horse manure, should be crumbly in texture and there shouldn't be any smell from it. If it's still smelly or if it's slimy or anything like that, it's still far too new to use it. So it should be well rotten, about two years old or more, the longer the better. And the thing is, over that period, if there are weed roots in the manure, you would expect to see them. So if you're getting a load of manure from a farm, the second thing I was going to say is keep an eye out for your weed roots like nettles or brambles or obviously the even much more nasty uh, Japanese knotweed. You'd expect to see it is what I would say to you. But why not take some of the, the, of the horse manure uh, and maybe if possible and if practical in your own garden, leave it sit somewhere for another six months before adding it to your compost. And you certainly would expect to see uh, Japanese knotweed growing at that stage if it was there at all. Okay, and I I don't know if this is a technical question or not. A question for Peter, please. How often do you apply lime to hydrangeas to get them pink and how much and how do you apply it? The To get... Okay, so hydrangeas are what's called pH sensitive, Trish. So that what that means is they'll grow in most soils, but depending on the pH of your soil will determine the flower colour. So if you have alkaline soil or limey soil, then you'll have pink hydrangeas. Uh, and equally, if you have acid soil or so, soil with a low pH, you'll have blue hydrangeas. Now, of course, humans being humans, if we have acid soil, we want pink. And if we have limey soil, we want blue. But that's just, what you can do is you can add a hydrangea colorant to limey soils to make them blue. It's aluminium sulfates. So you can add that to make them blue. And as the caller says, you can add lime to more acidic soils to make your hydrangeas pink. So 
how you do it is, is relatively straightforward. You can just get garden lime uh, and apply it around the base of the plant. I think with lime, really, once a year should be enough. Like, did, where are we? March, February coming into March. March, April will be the time that I would apply it. Maybe a second application around July, but really one application, I think, in March, April should be enough. And that's how you apply it and that's when you apply it. The rate off the top of my head, you're catching me out. I'm not sure. I'm not 100% sure, but... Um, dare I say go with a good fistful or two of lime around mm. the soil should do it if you are getting what's just referred to as garden lime in a garden centre uh, I have no doubt that the correct rate will be will be, written be on on it. probably something like the, yeah it'll be something in around 50 grams per square metre or something like that Okay could you ask Peter uh, I, I would like to dig up a peony rose and put it in another part of the garden when is the right time to consider doing it? Well, again, it's like for moving anything, we're in the right time of the year to do it, but we're coming towards the end of it. I'm hoping that after uh, after this uh, mini beast from the east moves, that the temperatures will improve and we'll, we'll head towards spring proper. So you want to have all your moving done before that. So do it now. Uh, and yes, you can do it, but do it sooner rather than later. Uh, hi, Peter. How do I get rid of overgrown grass in a plot where I'm hoping to grow potatoes? go in there with a shovel really I'm afraid go and, and take it out I mean take it out by hand is really in my opinion your only option if you're particularly if you're going to be growing a food crop afterwards like potatoes you don't want glyphosate or any of these other uh, herbicides to be in the soil so I'm afraid I would say go at it by hand bit of, a bit of uh, a bit of hard work hi uh, Peter can I cut back hydrangeas now the old flowers are still on it but obviously are well withered I imagine at this stage is it okay to cut it back I'd wait till the cold spell is gone, Trish, because the reason we leave last year's blooms on the hydrangeas is to to give the the base of or the, the base of the plant, yes, that extra kind of blanket of cover, if you like. So the, the dead blooms that are on it now are, are actually catching any snow and frost and protecting the base of the plant. So while we're in the middle of this very cold spell, I would leave them. But once this cold spell has passed, yeah, I would cut away then. Okay, Tim is listening to us across the border in Limerick. He's got a purest forest flame, which he says has gone very scraggy. Can I cut it back to the ground, thanking you? Cutting it back to the ground would be a bit harsh, I would say to Tim, but it probably would come on again, but it could take years for it. So, but yes, you can cut it back and it's an evergreen plant, the forest flame. And uh, so... If you cut it back to the ground, therefore you you risk it dying because there's no foliage for it to photosynthesize. Uh, you can do that more so with deciduous shrubs. On saying that, it probably would come back. But I would much, much rather recommend a more gradual approach. So maybe even cut it back by half and just make sure there's some greenery left below where you're cutting. And what that will do relatively quickly now as we're coming into the spring, that will cause... Uh, the dormant lateral buds below the cut, in other words, leaf buds that are on the stems but aren't producing any growth, that will force them into growth because the growth has to come out somewhere. So cut it back by, by, by about half would be my advice uh, and then leave it for a few months and see what happens. You can always cut it back a bit harder than after that, after a few months. But I wouldn't be quite as drastic as cutting it to ground level, no. OK, and Noel has a problem with sparrows eating the buds. Now, it says from, from current trees but i don't know if that's predictive text or not but he wants to know will they will they reco- recover with the sparrows eating the buds off trees from trees hard to, hard to know it depends I, because i would as you say i'd probably need a bit more information if it, like what buds are they eating if they're eating the leaf buds or is it flower buds or 
I, I don't know is the short answer to the question because I don't fully understand the question. Uh, I imagine whatever is happening probably will recover, but I, I can't say with any degree of certainty, I'm afraid. Okay, and could you give general advice? I want to set a new lawn this uh, year. At the moment, what I have is very overgrown. It's scutch grass. Do I just get out and dig it all up? And how do I prepare for a new lawn? And when is the time to set a new lawn? Well, now is the time to to do the preparatory work for the new lawn because March, March, April really is the best time to sow the lawn. But if you're if you're in a situation where you have a lot of old scotch grass and existing vegetation, yeah, get out there in this cold weather and remove it. Get out there, do it by hand. Work the soil, turn over the, the, the top few inches, make sure you're removing any roots of, of the scotch grass, which is, of course, going to be next to impossible, but uh, try and get rid of as much as possible of it. Um, any other roots that you don't want, like nettles or anything like that, uh, get rid of all of them. Um, rake, this, rake the soil. Uh, so you want to tilt of about two or three inches on, on the top for the for the lawn seed to make contact with. Remove any stones, rake it level, uh, do a rain dance on it to compact the soil a small bit. So just stamp it down. And after you've done that, rake it again. Just a very gentle rake at that point, Trish, just to, just to break the surface so the, the, the seeds can, can go on. So you have a bit of work to do between now and March, but then come March and the rising temperatures, that's the time to put down the, the, the seed. And it's worth doing it. OK, listen, uh, Peter, we oh, leave yeah. it there. Thank you for that and have a good week. Thank you, Trish. Thanks a million. That's uh, Peter Dowdle. Bye-bye. Peter Dowdle, theirishgardener.com. Okay, some of your texts coming in and apologies to people who sent in WhatsApps. I've just, uh, the WhatsApp can sometimes play up uh, on us and literally a flood of them have come in together. But I promise you, we will read them all. We won't get to all of them uh, today, but we'll we'll get to a few of them tomorrow. I promise you that. But some of them have come in by regular text to 0862-103-103. Tim and Yall on the pensions issue that we discussed earlier. Uh, Changes to the pensions from 65 to versus 66. Tim says, I've personally written to you in the last 18 months with regard to this very same issue. I welcome the development this week for those who will be in receipt of the state pension from the age of 65 years of age. However, with regards to people who last year had to sign on for job seekers allowance and make themselves available for work, they were at a loss of nearly two and a half thousand euro. This campaign should not stop here. It should now campaign for retrospection for those people who were denied their full state pension last year. Tim Tim, just to clarify, the changes that have been made, there's no changes made to the amount that people will uh, receive. People who retire at 65 still have to wait until they're 66 to get their full pension. They still stay on the same rate, the job seekers benefit of €203. That doesn't change. All that changes is they don't have to make themselves available for work. But for that year, they still are down the almost €2,500, as you correctly point out. And you are right, a campaign needs to go uh, to get that sorted out so that when people retire at 65 they get a full uh, pension but let's wait and see what the Pension Commission uh, comes back with but thank you for your your uh, text and on cleaning up your dog poo and responsible dog ownership and we had Pat who thought it was the most disgusting habit to ask anybody to pick up after their own dog and he reckons nobody should be doing it and I took Pat to task and said can't believe that you would expect other people to clean up after your, after your dog many people as well uh, picking up on Pat's comments. Ger says, I'm stunned by the comment from Pat Reed, dog fouling, telling people don't clean up after their dog. Uh, he must live in a kennel. One on the way to shop last Friday morning, I counted nine dog poos in a space of 450 metres, a primary school in the same space. Thankfully, it was closed. I could name the people 
who take their dogs for walkies early morning and late at night is the favourite time for these walks. CCTV is what is needed. Our dog warden to be appointed and that's from Jur in Formoy and Formoy must be bad because I've seen and there was another one Martin in Formoy was also on to say is that fella Pat off his head? He should take a walk around the Pike Road in Formoy. It's nearly always covered in dog poo. There's no need for it. People just need to be responsible and pick up after their own dogs. At the end of the day, it's the right thing to do, says Martin in Formoy. And that's where it comes back to what we've mentioned, responsible pet ownership. And someone else says, Patricia, can you put, when you do clean up after your dog, can you put that in the black rubbish bin? I just, I don't know what you mean by the black rubbish bin. If it's the one that goes to General Landfill, yes. I don't know if you'd be putting it into a compost bin. For The one for General Landfill is where I would be suggesting you put it. And Anne has been on to say, thank you for contacting New Wave for me. They got back to me right away and said they're adding new masts and I will be connected to it today. Um, it is because of uh, because of a brain injury, Suzanne. It's easier for me to write stuff down rather than speak on the phone. Ah, bless your heart. Can't thank you enough. Listen, we're just only too glad to help out any way we can. And it was just your you ha- you put a beautifully written text together, and it really got at me the fact the loneliness and how you need your Facebook and your email to communicate with the outside world so keep communicating with the outside world and hopefully you'll be back up and running by close of business today and well done to New Wave they responded really quickly there that's where I leave you for today Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon we're back with you tomorrow morning at uh, 10 o'clock on to then look after yourself stay safe and stay warm Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Every Friday, we're counting down to the weekend, the weekend. by turning up the feel-good. Weekend starting off something like this. Come on. C103's Feel Good Friday brings you six hours of feel-good greatest hits. Join Nick Richards from One and Martina O'Donoghue from Four. As we get you weekend ready. Weekend ready. Weekend starting off something like this. Come on. It's Friday, Friday. Turning up the feel good for Cork. For Cork. Every Friday from 1. Feel Good Friday. Only on C103. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast. And this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues. Your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.